So we're on John chapter 4, and that's on page 889. 889. And we're going to read from verse 46 down to verse 54. It's been a very proverbial series because it was meant to be two episodes long, and now it's three. So we've extended it a little bit. And we're going to finish chapter 4 today. And we'll be thinking through this section under the theme of how encountering Jesus brings life. So believe his word and expect your life to change. Let's read it together. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so reads God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. We pray that we, Father, would experience a life-giving encounter with Jesus. We pray that we would know what it is to believe his word every day, to expect and experience change in our lives. Would you, by your spirit, impress us with these truths today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Some of the ladies here yesterday went off to Glendalough for a guided walk with Kerry. And some of you didn't wear sunscreen when you should have. And, well, that's Leah. She's out there. She's a bit, bit red today. And they went up Glendalough. Some of the guys there were Christians. Some of them were not Christians. But the whole idea was to explore the bigger questions in life, to look at the scenery around you, to ask, what might be bigger than me in this universe? Is there a God out there? And what might he be saying to me? But not every spiritual encounter that we have or that is recorded for us in the Bible happens on scenic walks when you're asking big questions. We saw Nicodemus a couple of weeks back. He was a religious guy asking questions, coming in the night. He's wondering how Jesus fits into his way of thinking, and he's puzzled. The last question he asks Jesus is, how can these things be? The woman at the well, she isn't seeking a spiritual experience at all. The story that precedes this one. 
She meets Jesus without looking for him and he exposes her thirst, this deep-seated thirst and her encounter with Jesus brings her life but she wasn't looking for that. Jesus came to her. But this encounter today with the official and his dying son is nothing like the first two. It is, I suppose, a man on a pilgrimage of a kind but he wasn't driven by spiritual questioning. This man was driven by sheer desperation. Not by a longing for the big questions in life, but a compulsion, a last-ditch effort to save a dying child. That's what's driving this encounter today. Desperation. And desperation is a powerful motivator. When you find yourself in a crisis, your whole world just shrinks right down you become focused on resolving that one pressing need. Especially, perhaps most so when it's a matter of life and death. One of the most desperate things you could ever face in life is the prospect of your child dying. And you've been helpless to do anything about it. So what do you do when you're completely helpless, when you're faced with your child losing their life, when the medics can't help, when every alternative medicine fails, when your resources have all been drained in trying to help this child and yet life is still draining for them. If you knew that there was someone, anyone, that could help, someone with a reputation to work miracles, even though you don't know who this person really is or what they could or could not do for you, wouldn't you seek them out? Even if you're skeptical, you would go. Well, that's the encounter today with Jesus. It's driven by desperation, by fear of loss and grief, by a father desperate to save his little boy from death. It's very emotive. It's charged. It's traumatic. It's, it's real life. And encountering Jesus in the Gospels is often very gritty and very messy. And just as well, because that's what life is like. And that's what our lives are like. And that's what I find so compelling about this particular account. It's gritty, but it's a true encounter with Jesus that brings life, regardless of what had brought this person to Jesus in the first place. So in verse 46, things have come full circle in John so far. Jesus has come again to Cana, where he had made the water wine and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill so we come full circle this reference to when the water was made wine that John tells us about earlier and he designates that as the first sign now the signs in the book of John are pointing you forward to who Jesus really is they're designed to help you see that Jesus is the Christ that he is the Son of God and that by believing in him you have life in his name. The signs are pointing you towards that truth. They're not a means to an end, but to point you towards an encounter with Jesus. And the first sign that John gave, describes was when Jesus turned the water into wine. And this encounter will prove to be the second sign as John chooses to designate it there in verse 54 the end of this little account this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea 
to Galilee. It's a little bookend. And when the water was turned to wine, the disciples, through that encounter, they are said to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But they don't really understand everything that that meant. Their encounter is bringing them life, but it's a messy process for them. It's not clear really what their belief means yet. And they're encountering Jesus more and more as they go and their understanding is, is filling out. But this official who comes now in verse 46, this official from Capernaum, all we know about him is that his son uh, was ill. He's a civil servant, if you like. And he comes, having heard something of Jesus' reputation, and he comes in desperation. So in verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now I have such admiration for this man. Think, think of the risk that he is taking. Think of how traumatic a choice he was making to leave his son at the point of death. The journey he was taking, it was going to take him at least a full day to get to Jesus. Can you imagine leaving your, your child's deathbed, taking the risk of saying your goodbyes to them, knowing they could die when you're gone? Can you imagine the sense of risk of going on that journey and finding word reaches you that, that they died and you weren't there in their dying moments. This man had no guarantees that he would ever see his son alive again. And he took that risk. He went. Can you imagine how traumatic leaving your child would have been and making that journey? How distressing that journey must have, must have been but how committed he was to seek to rescue his son. It's an incredibly charged account. It's amazing what this man does, this official. Think of that. And, and when he meets, when he finally gets to Jesus, you know, it, it's no wonder that he just moves straight, straight to the point when he, he comes and he asks Jesus to come down and heal his son. He went to him and says, come heal my son because he's at the point of death. And he keeps pleading with him, it seems, to do that. And imagine everything he's experienced in that journey. And then Jesus comes out and says to him in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> in light of everything that's happened. It's the trouble when you read the Gospels and the Bible for yourself. You find Jesus doesn't say the things you expect him to say. That's part of the intrigue of getting to know him. But it's not unlike something you may say or, or think yourself or other people has, have put to you. You know, I would believe if God proved it to me. You know, if you gave me a sign, I would believe. I mean, Eddie Izzard, the atheistic comedian, Part of one of his stand-up routines is to talk about being an atheist and to challenge God, to prove himself to him right there and then. But 
it seems that Jesus is directing this to the general audience of his hometown, as it's, as it's put, who seem more interested in his miracles and as an end in themselves than they are in Jesus. John tells us that Jesus has taken the approval of those around him very lightly because they're not really interested in who Jesus is, but in the things that he can do. They are not interested in a personal encounter with Jesus, but in seeing spectacles like water turn to wine. And that rebuke is a general rebuke that Jesus is directing to that context. Or some people do request miracles in a crisis and they begin to bargain with God, but it doesn't always result in, in belief. I read just this week about a young woman who was terminally ill and her family were not very religious. They went to church maybe Christmas and, and Easter. And when they were presented with this critically ill child, they made all sorts of bargains with God. And they pleaded with the pastor to pray that their daughter would be healed. And he said that if she was healed, you know, they would commit themselves to him. They would appear every week at church. They would commit their whole being to him. And miraculously, the, the young woman was healed. And sure enough, they all turned up in their Sunday best for the first few weeks. And then they came occasionally. And then they came again at Christmas and Easter And the young woman herself, she began to rationalize what had happened. Maybe it wasn't a miracle after all. Miracles don't guarantee a belief, and Jesus knew that. But this man, he is driven by a genuine need. It's a raw and honest appeal that he makes to Jesus. Sir, come down before my child dies. He's not there making promises that he'll be a good man and that he'll clean up his life. He's too raw for that. He's not asking Jesus to do some magic tricks for his amusement. He is intensely in need. He needs his son to be saved from death. And all we know is he had heard Jesus was in town. We're not told a thing about his understanding of who Jesus is. And he goes pleading. And after Jesus' general rebuke of people's needs for miracles and signs before they'll believe, he tells him in verse 50, go, your son will live. Jesus' response is just as abrupt as his request. Help Help me, my son is dying. Go, your son will live. It's a very charged, quick interaction. And just as a just as abruptly as Jesus has said it, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I think if I were that man, I would think, is that all you're going to do? Is that it? I would want him to at least come with me because if there are any further complications, I can't exactly text him or whatever, to come back. And you'd make that journey, you've heard of all of his reputation, and he just tells you, go, your son will live. But he believes Jesus' word. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. 
There was no frills, no, no experience, no mini miracle as a kind of a guarantee for the journey home. No power encounter, no feel-good factor, no kind of spiritual high even. Just go. And he believes Jesus' word and goes. He believed Jesus' word and he expects his life to change. He is a gutsy guy. Now, of course, for you to believe Jesus' word and expect your life to change, you've got to hear it for yourself and engage with the scriptures for yourself. Just last week, I was at the park with the kids and I got talking to a lady about uh, spiritual things and she described herself as a spiritual person. And I said to her, well, you know, what really changed my life was reading the Bible for myself and hearing what God had to say firsthand. And that's what changed my life and continues to change my life every day. And she said, well, you know, I have never actually read it for myself. It's all been secondhand. Where do you think I should start? I said, well, maybe you should start with the Gospel of Mark. See what Jesus said and did for yourself. So if you're skeptical about the Bible, I'd give you the same advice. Read it for yourself. If you don't read it, you can't believe it. And in, in my experience and in our experience as a church, it's in the reading of it that belief comes and your life is changed. Now this man's encounter and his belief in Jesus' word is driven by desperation. But what might compel you to seek an encounter with Jesus? And what I find wonderfully freeing about this account and indeed the accounts of many other people interacting with Jesus is the paths that lead to your encounter with Jesus may be like no other. But you can still encounter the life-giving Christ regardless of what is compelling you to go and seek it out, even if it is desperation. Your personal encounter with Jesus may be like no other. You know your own mess. You know your quiet desperation, your neediness, your disbelief even, and your doubt. Bring your baggage and all of it. Bring all of it to Jesus. An encounter with him brings life, whatever your starting point happens to be. I mean, what did this official know really? He knew very little. And look at the room Jesus gives him. There is room to approach Jesus, even if your picture of him is incomplete and you're unsure, and you know partly you're moving towards him out of sheer desperation. He has room for that. He responds to that. And maybe you need a fresh encounter with him. Maybe perhaps what you need is to experience afresh the life-giving truth of the person of Jesus. Maybe you need to be encouraged again today to return to his word, to feed your heart on it, to experience again that joy that he brings, and to ask him afresh to change your life and to begin to expect that change in profound ways, even if you found yourself just getting stuck and stuck and stuck.
He believed the word of Jesus and went on his way. And as he was going down, verse 51, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. You see, he believed already up in verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Yet in verse 53 at the end, and he himself believed in all his household. So something deeper happens. The official's encounter with Jesus brought him life. He believes Jesus' word and he expects his life to change. But it didn't stop with believing that Jesus was a miraculous healer, that Jesus could heal his son. It seems more than that. His encounter now has changed his understanding of who Jesus is. And it has deepened into a belief about this person of Jesus. And it has changed his whole life. Every time he looks at his son, he will see his encounter with Jesus again and how that brought life. His encounter will be given a fresh expression every day and he will be reminded of the power of Jesus' word and the change that brings. The literal death and grief it saved him from. But he experienced more than the life back for his son. He began to experience life in Jesus. That eternal life, that eternal connection John talks about and it's poignant when you read this little account here of how Jesus too was a son and how he was the son of a loving father in heaven who would see his son die this is what Jesus had said to Nicodemus in in two encounters before this one God so loved the world that he gave his only son himself that whoever believes in him believes in me should not perish but have eternal life that is what this official is experiencing as he sees the physical life of his son before him but this emphasis here on the hour that just at this precise hour his son was healed the precise timing of it all and the precision of the timing that reminds us of the hour And the precision of the hour in which Jesus, as the Son, would give his life to bring about this eternal life. When he would die as the Son on the cross as the means of securing this life-giving encounter with him. Jesus rescues this boy from from the jaws of death. But he would die and rise victorious from the grave. He would defeat death ultimately. By giving of his life and rising again to secure a life-giving encounter for all who would come to him. So with everything that Jesus is doing through the Gospels and everything that he would do in his death, his resurrection, and in his going back to the Father, is it too much to say that in light of that we ought to believe his word and expect our life to change and expect our life to change every day as we move increasingly towards Christ and experience the change that that brings and embrace that. 
So expect your life to change. An encounter with Jesus brings life. Believe his word and expect your life to change, even if you're being driven by something desperate. Because what this account shows you is that you can come to Jesus in any state, really. And he is there. Ask him what he can do for you. Whatever journey you're on right now, ask him what he can do for you, but expect to encounter who he is and for that to change you. But be honest. We're all desperate. And wonderfully, desperation, desperate belief is enough to get you going. And desperation persists in our experience. We're broken people. But that pathway can lead to a life-changing encounter, to taking Jesus at his word, to believing and finding in him someone who can give you life and breathe eternal life into you. So whether it is a walk with Carrie and the girls to Glendalough, or whether it's a quiet coffee you make yourself and you open the Gospels, perhaps you haven't in some time, or never at all, seek out an encounter with Jesus. Believe his word and expect your life to change. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this account. Thank you for this official. What a brave, brave man he was. Thank you for the risks he took, for the journey he made. Thank you, Father, that his encounter with Jesus brought life to his son and brought life to him and his whole family, his whole household. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would enable us to encounter Jesus. Lord, sometimes we don't even know our own minds because we're broken people. We are weak. We're vulnerable. We pray, Lord, that you would meet us there. Meet us in our weakness, in, in our contradictions, in our mixed motives, and breathe life into us. Lord, would you help us to believe your word? We need your help with that. Give us the expectation and desire to see our lives truly change, become more like you, the journey with you, and to experience that life-giving truth of Jesus now and eternally. Whatever point we're at today, Lord, we pray you would meet us there and bring us forward in the name of Jesus. Amen.